What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Dune Not Enter podcast, where today, Gurney chooses between the Spice Smugglers and the Spice Lords. I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and joining me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. Hey, guys. And Nolan Zhang. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. And today, we will be completing Chapter 28 on the Dune Not Enter podcast, so uh, we are <laughs> beyond excited. Um, but first, I'm excited to hear about you guys' weeks, so anything new that we did? Or... Um... <laughs> Well, we did a meetup in IRL. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. So, I mean, we haven't seen each other for a while, so it was nice to, <laughs> to, to meet up. Um, even though we for live sure. in the, even though we live like ten minutes away from each other, just, like, <laughs> life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. So Guys, that was high fun. That's what sucks. Even though it's summer, yeah, we're just yeah. no life in home, studying, and, yeah, yeah, doing, doing whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, that was fun. I really like picking up the tennis racket after so many years. Oh uh, yeah, we went to, to to go hit some balls. That was don't take that out of context, by the way. <laughs> yep, don't don't take that out of context. But yeah, really fun meetup. <laughs> so I guess that's like the biggest thing we did last week. Um, anything else y'all did that was fun? Uh, um, for me right now, today I was working on my mom's computer, but I think I kind of broke it. So hopefully I can fix it. So <laughs> how'd you break it? <laughs> Um, I don't think it was me, but basically I trusted some software to transfer, to clone the hard drive under the SSD, and I was cloning it, right? And I was like rebooting back up, and I was like doing some of the processes after it was booting back up, so it was like 51%. Mm -hmm. And then I unplugged it, so it shut down, because I guess the battery wasn't as long as I thought it was. Oh. And then when we rebooted it, it was just like system error, and it was like Windows can't boot, or like I got the error code for like the Windows booting thing. Oh, and I was like, my. I guess that's fair since I didn't let it finish, but like now I'm just stuck, oh. you know? Oh. Wait, was it a desktop or a laptop? It was a laptop. Okay. Oh. So now I have to like figure out how to get Windows restored without hopefully paying the premium like $198 for Windows 10. Yeah. Well, you don't have to pay the premium. You can like go on like eBay or something and buy a Windows you, key for you could e Yeah, you could do that or you could just use without a Windows key. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, firstly, I'll try to see like without Windows key to see if I could figure it out if that's a problem. And then maybe I'll ask my mom what she feels about it. And then for following that, Hopefully, she'll be willing to pay from some, some third-party, like, $18 or, like, $25, like, Windows key, which is a little shady. You don't even but... need that much money. Like, just eBay is, like, $4. eBay? Wow. Yeah. Okay, but I heard eBay is less trustworthy. Uh, no, it's pretty it's trustworthy. Pretty... Just look for the review, the sellers with a bunch of reviews. All right, yeah, the reviews. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You're right. Anyways, I'll do that. Yeah, we can help you debug your tech issues later, but... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Um, so... Uh, we have an epigraph this chapter since it's the, well, it's technically the first half, but really it's a full chapter. So Nolan, chapter. yeah, go ahead and take it away with the epigraph. Okay, so today's epigraph reads, We came from Caledon, a paradise world for our form of life. There existed no need on Caledon to build a physical paradise or a paradise of the mind. We could see the actuality all around us, and the price we paid was the price men have always paid for achieving a paradise in this life. We went soft. We lost our edge. From Mua Deep Conversations by the Princess Irulan. Mm -hmm. So there's like some three major things I want to know about this about today's epigraph. Firstly, it mentioned for our form of life, like the planet Caladan, meaning Caladan is obviously like a tropical paradise. But what I'm suspicious about is that like it's only home to really humans and earth-like animals and plants because like there's no sandworms, there's no like fremen, there's no like other types of 
mm-hmm. like animal creatures right? and all the things yeah. that like referenced on Kaladin seem to be stuff that we know or like know like a have like, a similar reference to you know mm-hmm. so it seems really earth-like to me yeah and also i think that um secondly it also says that we can see the actuality all around us i'm a little confused about this because or like i guess curious because when i hear the word actuality it reminds me of like a bene Gesserit term so i'm a little confused on what they see all around them because i don't <laughs> quite understand that part. yeah um... <laughs> and thirdly I see like more deep conversations. And I think that's just something new that I don't think we've ever heard from that more deep book or whatever. Yeah. So I think what they meant by actuality means that there was no reason for them to build a paradise because it was already around them. Like it was already built. And that's the actuality. Like reality. Yeah. So actuality means like there was already a par- there's actually already a paradise. And honestly, right. I feel like Kaladin is kind of the, the planet we know that kind of resembles Earth. Um, right because lots of water lots of water tropical jungles and, well earth if we didn't you know destroy we didn't with industrialization <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> right and and uh so i think it's kind of earth-like and it's interesting that they refer to it as a paradise you know um so uh so yeah that's really interesting they should just like uh, they should just like export all the fragment to Kaladin. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But then they would all die from spice, withdraw- spice withdrawals. Yeah, they would have That's to. They have to continuously ship in the spice, and we know how much the guild charges. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but I mean, it's really interesting that they say you know we went soft, we lost our edge, because yeah, yeah because you know they the the traders really were not prepared for what they were about to find on Arrakis after they moved. Um, yeah, to be honest, so. they weren't even painted as that soft in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it really catches us off, off guard when we saw just like how little their training helped them. Yeah, you know? and they weren't dealing with any situation really properly. The Duke went many days without sleep, and Hawat did too, and you know, trying to get everything settled down. And in the end, you know, the Harkonnen just rolled them over. Even though, <laughs> yeah. uh, even though, even though, given the Harkonnen spent fifty years worth of spice on it, right? But still, that's. They still won. Yeah, they still won quite convincingly, and the the Atreides, frankly to say, put up no resistance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, right. Cool. So yeah, really cool epigraph. Thank you for that. And uh, we're gonna move on to the quote section. So again, we're doing the quotes at the beginning so that we can discuss later in the chapter. Uh, so Fillmore, you have the first quote as usual. Okay. So for my quote, I chose, "We live on sufferance down here, Gurney Halleck." Twix said, Arrakis is our enemy. Yep. <laughs> Arrakis. Very foreboding. <laughs> uh, my quote was, a stone is heavy and the sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Ooh, but you yeah. know something? A feather and a bow, and like a bowling ball, all, all weigh the same when they're falling. Whoa. Yeah. Well, no, they don't. Oh, okay. At terminal velocity. It's, M- right? it's MG. MG. Yeah, well, Something. no, it's terminal velocity. They fall at the same too. rate. Oh, it, right, in, in like a vacuum, right? Yeah. Because like, air resistance. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It wouldn't Not be exactly a moment. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this is what so. happens when you don't take AP physics. Yeah. yeah I took IP physics and we haven't touched Galileo at all. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> There's an equation for it. I just I can't remember. F stuff. equals mg. Anyways. Yeah. So my quote today is. 
whether a thought is spoken or not, it is a real thing and it has power. Yep, it's a, it's tangible and a lot of times the way you think is is really indicative of the way you act and <laughs> yeah, so people are just say, "Oh, you know, I was I was just thinking. I wasn't actually planning to act on it." You know, that's not it's not true. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool quotes. So now let's dive into the the bulk of the chapter. So we're starting out in the point of view of Gurney Halleck after many, many chapters. And I forgot I'm, when we last started from his view. Yeah, I don't think have we ever started from his view? I don't actually um, remember. I'm not I don't think we have. Maybe I think it's the first. Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe that first one chapter when or I think maybe that one chapter where he fought Paul, but I maybe, think that was in Paul's POV. Yeah, I think it was in Paul's point of view. Mainly Paul. Yeah. I mean maybe sometimes it switched. Kind yeah, of low. Right. So I mean we knew he was alive, but it's still a relief, right? And <laughs> so here he's joined forces with the smugglers and specifically the son of the smuggler Esmar Tuek, whom we met in the dinner scene. Um yum, yum. and this guy's name is Staban Tuek, which rhymes with Raban, interest, interestingly. But there's one line I wanted to mention here. The man wore Fremen robes and had the half-tint blue eyes that told of off-planet foods in his diet. So it seems like, and the text I think implies this, that his eyes are not fully blue because he doesn't purely eat spice. <laughs> so does that mean that the Fremen subs- subsist on purely spice if their eyes are blue? You know, because... Here it's saying half tint blue eyes and the off planet foods is the reason, right? So this would kind of indicate if the Fremen purely eat spice in their diet, so their eyes are so blue, that the spice has nutritional qualities, you know, that can satisfy these different bodily needs. And yeah, it has all these different minerals and vitamins, I suppose. Um, yeah, so some type of not not magic drug, but it's some type of, you know, so ultimate vitamin, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's definitely gummy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, spice is like the ultimate all-in-one food. It has all the vitamins you need, and I guess the only thing it can't do is satisfy your thirst. And yeah, I guess that's the lack of water on a rock. Is it's the only thing keeping the fremen from getting too strong, Mm -hmm. because I guess the lack of water limits the factors such as population growth. True. Yeah. So. Um. Also, it's kind of like. This is like the whole, like, you, you can only choose one food to eat for the rest of your life. What would it be? And they tell us spice. I'm kind of curious though, because like, when I think of spice, I want to know how they process it. Because like, do they treat it like rice where they boil it and then it becomes something else? Or does it just like, they just eat it like raw. I don't quite understand that. Um, <laughs> but, well, we know that yeah. you can cook spice into the food. Like, yeah. into like co- you can, there's spiced coffee and stuff like that, yeah. but I'm sure you can eat raw spice. I wonder, yeah, and again, I also kind of wonder as it's, at its physical qualities because, you know, salt dissolves easily in water, mm-hmm. but something like calcium, you know, you can grind it into powder, but it doesn't, it's you know, calcium. yeah, it's still like, it's not going to dissolve, right? Uh-huh. And, and like, I, I wonder if spice is like that, um, whether you could just dump it in some water, and, you know. Or, Doesn't it need to be like absorbent so that like your body can process it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. So there's like a lot of really interesting implications, mm-hmm. you know. It but. also seems like because spice changes flavor, that like they don't, they shouldn't get tired of it too easily. And uh-huh. I feel like maybe that's why they eat it. Like maybe that's why they like they most of the fremen stick to this, other than the fact of survival, of course. But we can also tell from their trades and other people that the spice does get boring after a while yeah yeah i remember in the dinner scene there was that one 
person who said, "Oh, I'm sick of the melange and everything." Right. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. So yes, you can get bored of it. Although I don't see how, if it's like ambrosia, you know, it mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. tastes how you want it to taste. Or, it's so well, interesting. I'm not. I don't. I don't think it was. They were bored of it. They were just saying, "Oh, there's food that's without spice for once." Like. It's not that they're necessarily bored of spice. There's just they wanted something something different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perhaps I was just thinking like maybe like the different flavors exist on like a scale between like let's say like infinity between zero and one. So there's like yeah, infinite number of flavors, but still within like a certain range. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. So okay. So moving away from the topic of spice, it looks like Gurney still isn't aware of who the traitor is and. Mm -hmm. I guess you can only suspect it to be Jessica because that's who Thufir was suspicious of. Yeah, kind of the way that he words his suspicions kind of has me like convinced that he himself isn't fully convinced that Jessica herself is the traitor mm-hmm. and just like kind of works off of the assumption that like Hawa is much more intelligent than he is and because he concluded that he would just have to trust Hawa in that conclusion. Yeah, yeah. and Tuak makes a good point that Hawa is captured now so to <laughs> rethink things yeah. yeah but i mean gurney is shocked that tuak is quote-unquote doing nothing to attract attention right to to them or to the smugglers considering the blood feud the smugglers now have with the harkonnens that they killed tuak's dad tuak right so mm-hmm. here we get to my quote um a stone is heavy and the sand is weighty but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both so i know this is kind of a standard concept that you know, one should bid their time and lay a trap for their enemies. And Tuit kind of spells it out more clearly exactly what he means um, later because he kind of reiterates this point a few times to get it through Gurney's skull, right? So, but I think uh, Herbert's spin on it and that the wrath is foolishness induced is really cool. Yeah. So I think it's even cooler to see the discipline that they act upon instead of their emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of like the Ben Adjuster, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, "Is there a parallel?" I was like, nah. Nah, <laughs> I think it's just them credit. being smarter. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that if like a family member of mine was killed, I would do anything to get revenge at that moment. But mm-hmm. instead, they're biding their time and waiting for the right moment to strike yeah. back. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of agreed as well. Like, yeah, when I initially when Herbert introduces smugglers at like the dinner party and stuff, I kind of just thought of them as like no better than. Bandits of the Wild West, kind of like rowdy, uncivilized, and only focus on their own self gain. Mm-hmm. But from this like conversation, at least, I'm impressed to see the smugglers. At least one of the smugglers, you know, the leader is a respectable person, and that they are a respectable force because they're led by him. They should be reckoned with from like the universe, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's also good to see that they have someone who will calmly assess and like see what the situation requires of them. So I'm happy that. There's someone like that for the smugglers. Yeah, same. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to see that the smugglers are respectable people. And, you know, perhaps they're even doing a good thing because spice mm-hmm. is expensive. And, yeah, and so oh, it's... Black that market, you know, yeah, so saves lives. Black marketing things. Yeah, perhaps it's even doing a good thing. Yeah. Um, it's like how we cross the border to Mexico to sometimes buy the insulin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Probably not the most reputable. And I think this, yeah. this um, partnership that Gurney has with... Um, Tuak here is kind of, you know, it was foreshadowed, I guess, in the dinner scene when Paul was, you know, confronting who was that? The the water shipper, right? Yeah. And uh Ed Tuak was the the father Tuak, Tuak Senior was supporting him uh mm-hmm. in, in his in his arguments, I suppose. So 
yeah, it shows yeah. allegiance a little early on. Yeah, so that that's that was kind of a hint. Even though you know two X senior is now dead, right? Uh, yeah, his son is carrying on his legacy. Right. No, Lido is also dead. Yep. So <laughs> and again, his son is carrying on his legacy. Yeah, and also Gurney is carrying on. You know what Lido <laughs> would have would have wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so here we also see that two X responds to Gurney's like accusation or like belief that the traitor was Jessica. They kind of like. Everyone, it's like even the smugglers refer to Jessica as the witch. So I guess like being Ben and Jessica really doesn't curry you any favors and comes with this fair share of derogatory remarks with people speaking behind your back. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have thought that it would be better. The It wouldn't be as derogatory because the missionary protectiva exists, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, I guess like it's because they also have their off-world perspective with their spaceship, so maybe they're less like secluded, so that they know more about the Benjamin and the Fremen. Yeah, it seems but, everyone's really exclusive of the the Benjamin as a whole. Uh huh. But didn't the Fremen also refer to them as witches, or maybe they the didn't? Fremen, I think the Fremen's always referred to them as like part of some like I forgot what they called them, but like I thought of them as like priestesses for whatever religion they were part of. Mm. yeah i mean they're just there to spread you know spread the religion spread good things well spread the Hopefully. spread the bg beliefs kind of mm-hmm. yeah 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 so the smugglers can kind of hear what the harkonnens are saying um and i don't know whether they're tapping their lines or something but now everyone believes jessica and paul are dead uh because just because the harkonnens believe that right and beast robin and also known by his fancier title the count robin of lankyville will <laughs> again vale. or lanky veil i don't know will again now be empowered on arrakis he was the the cruel ruler and we knew this but that's an interesting mm-hmm. title yeah i'm pretty surprised for all this time the smugglers have spent on arrakis however they still like you know like we could tell because they don like some fremen way of living like the apparel and like the half tinted eyes they kind of still think that the desert itself is not as survivable as everyone else like just like everyone else because i think of everyone else on the planet except the fremen of course i feel like the smugglers should be the ones who know this crucial information as they've like hidden themselves on rackets for so long and now they like even offer exclusive trade deals to the fremen so i feel like i expect them to know more about the planet but it still seems that even they are lacking of like some more crucial information of how jessica or paul could have possibly survived out in the desert especially during a sandstorm yeah but i still think it's pretty amazing that they're able to get access to this information without any sort of spies mm-hmm. well i don't i'm not sure if it's like without spies when i read it i kind of thought like they have spies on the inside but i'm not sure perhaps they, they have maybe they do collecting their intelligence that you know it's not really revealed to us yeah we also know that tapping is possible because that's what the harkonnens did to the to the oh, trade right the that is could have done it to the harkonnens yeah yeah, it might be, you know, easier than we think to tap, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't know. So, I mean, also Halleck has a feud against Robin now, um, mm-hmm. and because he's kind of tallying up quite the feud count, but, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so I guess Robin or was it maybe, I don't know if it's Robin or it's the Harkonnens, but it seems to be Robin who, you know, was the one that killed his family. So again, Tuek mentions uh kind of what he what we were saying earlier my quote one does not risk everything to settle a score prematurely which is reminding gurney of what's at stake here yeah knowing like Raba and like his personality i don't 
really like put it past him to have put the scar on Gurney's jaw himself. It's not like the sheer torture of like that he delights in. But also, I think what you're saying earlier is that like you don't know if it was like Robin himself. I think either way, Robin was the one that created like the um the arena and like the like just the spectacle of like seeing people mm-hmm. in the arena killing each other, being killed by animals and stuff. So I think that's why, even without like Robin yeah. directly hurting Gurney, mm-hmm. he still hates. Robin for creating the system that oppressed him and his family. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure if the scar was from torture or from battle, but I definitely see a man full of bloodlust against his longtime enemy in Gurney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that he has such a grotesque scar, you know, kind of maybe, and this the fact that it didn't heal or anything, you know, it's just also a mental scar, right? Something that mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. heal easily, and he's, you know, still kind of recovering from that emotionally, and we saw it um, in the earlier chapters, actually, you know, Gurney revealed some some stuff about his past. And uh, actually, it was in the fight chapter where Paul and Gurney were sparring, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah, we kind of saw that. I think his sister was killed. Um, yeah, so, so this scar is probably symbolic of not just, you know, a physical wound, but... Uh, like a, a mental. Yeah, a mental wound, too. Yes, and uh, and especially the fact that it's you know such a terrible scar, I don't think it'll ever heal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time he looks in the mirror, he'll be reminded of those terrible times. Yep. Right. Well, he could probably feel it without even looking in the mirror. To be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, he knows exactly what it is and mm-hmm. what's at stake. Right. So, yeah. Tuek and the smugglers don't really fully trust Gurney, but he reveals why they should trust them in this line, and it's pretty epic. You saved me from the Harkonnens. I gave loyalty to the Duke Leto for no greater reason. So he's not just equating these smugglers with Leto, but he also informs us readers about his past a little bit, uh, that the, somehow the Duke was the one who saved Gurney from the clutches of the Harkonnens, even though the rest of his family died to them. So he really owed the Duke something, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Duke was sort of like his savior, and now that he's dead, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a reason to go on. But I really respect Gurney because he lost so much to the Harkonnens, and yet he continues to fight against them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of curious of like the backstory of like Duke and Gurney because I'm not really sure what how how the Duke saved him. Like, did he just like buy him out of the arena or like did he escape? I don't really know. I mean, I would assume he did some sort of raid on them and then he was able to free them during the raid. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Maybe Gurney was a prisoner of war and the Duke yeah, yeah rescued him. He traded. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Not sure. Yes. Really interesting. Oh no. But here we have like the quote for I chose for today's chapter because we came to the part where Tuwek and Gurney are talking and Gurney reveals his intense hate within him and Tuwek responds, whether a thought is spoken or not, it is a real thing in its power. So to me, this quote is really interesting, especially in this context, because especially even like in the modern world context, because it's such a conflicting narrative that it paints. Because the most common thing that we hear in today's world is that like, or it's spoken with no action. It's kind of just like an empty promise or it's just like phrases similar to that. It's just like your words are empty, you know, there's no action behind it. So in a way, this is like a valid perspective as there's no, like there's many direct applications of this and you're not getting any results done, right? So obviously your thoughts aren't really translating. So the thing is, it also has this flip side, right? Conversely, we also know that like an idea is all it takes to spark a revolution. We see this commonplace among writers of American Revolution, abolitionists, feminists, and every other like social justice movement out there in history. We mm-hmm. see that change, like it starts from the thoughts of the people, 
that's how you influence their mm-hmm. actions because like the action is directed by a person's thoughts and therefore it is the prerequisite to like the tangible change right so right, right. we see Tuek, I think this is the most respect respectable because like he sees like Hawa, Hawa I mean not Hawa, Alex like intense hate come out here and it's just instead of just like brushing it aside as just like like something that he could like easily like come over or like brush off later on down the line he instead like acknowledges it and challenges him on his thoughts and motivations so by fundamentally addressing Halleck's motives and thoughts to kind of provides the proper context for future Gurney's actions while he's on Rakis and just like makes the reader even more knowledgeable about why Gurney is the way he is as well mm-hmm. wow really cool analysis yeah I don't think I have too much to add um yeah but yeah all all these thoughts you know a lot of the times uh in in the lower classes when reform is needed it always starts kind of in uh, minor minor rumblings or murmurs mm-hmm. right because the 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 people are kind of you know thinking about that and if you don't quell it it'll start kind of a uprising yeah it kind of sort of snowballs mm-hmm. you know how in an avalanche it's always some sort of small thing that causes it <laughs> yeah but then i guess it's usually one big event that causes everything to erupt and for rebellions, that is. That's very important. That one's like that big spark that goes boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, honestly, that was really interesting. Cause like that was the moment in debate where I realized that principle does matter over practical. To be honest. Yep. Is that okay. why they say the pen pen is mightier than the sword or something? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that thing so many times. It's just like Vinland Saga. It's so cliche. <laughs> Vinland yeah. Saga moment. Yeah, it's very cliche. <laughs> Okay, so let's go on and let's talk about um this one thing that I laughed at when Tuex said. So Tuex said, yeah, I laughed at this too. <laughs> so he said, there are three things. These three things there are that ease the heart: water, green grass, and the beauty of woman. Yep. Oh well, I, yeah. am I the only person who didn't laugh to this? I don't know. Because uh, I thought I it was a, funny. I thought it was sort of a thoughtful moment. Because well, he's not exactly wrong. Oh, I thought it was quite in jest. Yeah, the in, the ending was pretty funny. I'll I mean, admit. I I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, he's he's right. I mean, it's reflective, but also kind of justful. I, I suppose mm-hmm. it not it's not really funny given the context of guess, what's going like, on. But I mean, yes, I mean, out of context, it's just. Yeah, it is pretty oh, funny. Out is, of context, what is this guy saying? Right. So. It's because like the previous mood, like what they were talking about before sort of killed it a little bit that's true but mm. i guess yeah because on a rock is th- those things water green grass and the beauty of women are what everybody wants and can bring you prosperity but yeah right i mean you know, if we follow the trend in these words you know there's no water on rackets there's no green grass on rackets so what do we think about the beauty of women on rackets uh, exactly because the only <laughs> women that we've seen are the fremen women and for as far as I know, they look like grandmas. <laughs> yeah, True, because well, I mean, they have weathered well, skin from the sun and such. Yeah, no, it's a choir taste. I feel like, guys. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, it seems. Nolan, kind. you would know because you're you're the ladies' man here. Oh, well, well, and also, well, it seems like Kynes has the taste, you know, because he married you know, a, he married a Fremen. Know? That's true, mm-hmm. you know. He was an off-worlder. He settled down, and I guess he, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he decided to stay. Yep. Wait, does Kynes have a child? Oh, that would be really interesting. Whoa. That's not hey. that hasn't been revealed, right? I doubt he does, honestly. I just I don't know. Like, he like might. Have a... In his position, I just doubt he would. Uh because of like the like how much he has to do 
I don't know mm-hmm. whether you know, he has he, too many responsibilities. Yeah, and I don't think he needs one one extra, one large extra responsibility on top of that. I right. feel like just I feel like though like that also makes it a little bit heavier on him to have an heir to continue on his work though. But maybe that's just not how Fremen society works. I'm not really sure yet. Mm-hmm. We also haven't had that much like personal Kinds life, so we haven't had that much. Yeah, not not much. Uh, right. So Kinds is still pretty mysterious character even though we now know we know his family life now we know his motivation like motivations and his intentions but mm-hmm. his personal mm-hmm. life we then again we don't know about most people's personal life yeah so yeah, guys, we don't know still, if gurney has a wife i think i don't think he does yeah it's still rather early in the in the in the book even though we're halfway through almost mm-hmm. yeah so really interesting yeah so also on this page i wanted to draw attention to just like the ton of biblical references in the dialogue between tuwek and halak firstly at the quote like where is the lord who led us through the land of deserts and of pits referring to like the israelites exodus in the wilderness for like 40 plus years secondly at this quote speed is a device of shaitan cool your sorrow i'm guessing shaitan means satan or something yeah i know that's what i thought too yeah yeah but like it's just Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's just too like too close to that real thing. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's like I think it's like another language's word for Satan or something. Perhaps I'll Google it real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll just he, like talk Hebrew. I don't know. So like it reminds me of the verse Proverbs fourteen twenty nine, where it's like whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick tempered displays folly. With like some of the other versions i know this one's from niv but other versions like esv and like i think other uh, kjv maybe but it actually mentions the words instead of like patient it says slow to anger so that's what it reminded me of okay and also like the last quote that i thought was like really biblical illusion was i have little to do with how you'll meet tomorrow gurney halleck i can only help you meet today it reminds me of the bible First in like Proverbs twenty seven one, it's like do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Mm-hmm. Because right. it's like, like Gurney's going on about all these things he's gonna do with the Harkonnens tomorrow, and then like Twig is like, chill out, bro. You don't even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, like stop yeah. sticking to this one like plan that you think is gonna like work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, Shaitan is a. Uh... It's a spirit in Islam, evil spirit, like inciting humans to sin by whispering to the heart. That's what it oh, says. So, okay. so it's really, it's actually is has an Islamic um, Background. origin. Yeah, it's not the oh. first time we've seen Islam in in uh, in this book. So it's really yeah, isn't the Balerian jihad like or actually, jihad is, is Islam, right? It's it's it's, yeah. it's Islamic, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so it's interesting that Tuak, you know, is of Islam and. Halleck is more Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's know, just, there's some stuff we could agree on. Yep, the different religions. Um, at least they're all Abrahamic. So, yeah. <laughs> Makes it slightly more mm-hmm. agreeable, maybe. Maybe, right. Maybe, maybe more relatable. Maybe relatable, yeah. I guess that's the yeah. right word. Right. Um, but this whole thing is kind of a pretty much an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of moment when <laughs> Tuak proves his worth by saying he'll avenge his father with his own blade. And Gurney even compares, you know, Tuak to the Duke, which is a high praise in and of itself. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So, yeah, he really values Tuak's character here. But one thing, again, I 
pointing out here, and I've pointed out many, many times. Um, notice how 2x says blade and not gun or some other more modern weapon. So it's another interesting thing Herbert does by making this book rather medievalistic with, I mean, uh, with the addition of some space travel and fancy technology and all Lots that. Last guns, shields. <laughs> yeah, I think his addition of shields was pretty ingenious because it makes them use swords instead of guns. Yeah. I True. think it was cool. Yeah, more close combat, I suppose. Yeah. Right. You know, close I mean, combat translates well into movies. He was thinking about his yeah. investment in the future. Yeah. I Even wonder though why he they, never got to see it. I wonder <laughs> why they only used las guns, though. Didn't they use normal, you know, more firearm weapons? Not because like las guns bigger don't work. weapons? Like um, caliber. They could use, you know, machine guns or something that could probably rip through shields. What I thought was that like the shield would just like slow down the bullet too much and just be like plop. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I feel like the shields also have a certain amount of damage yeah, they like can take limit. or energy and you know something like that. I guess yeah, they'd I rather know. just not take the chance. True. Yeah. That's true. And so, if they do hit a shield, it'll just kill everybody. More hand-to-hand -hand combat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'm 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 totally for that. I'm you know I come from medieval kind of fantasy that i've been reading yeah so, i kind of uh, prefer the whole hand-to-hand -hand combat type of uh, thing yeah i think it makes it more epic not just like yeah it's way yeah. more action packed yeah, instead not, of just like oh i sniped him from a, a, a mile away yeah i was gonna <laughs> say yeah yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say exactly that it's really the funny. best sniper on the iraqi and desert yep honestly but if somebody was able to make like a sniping scene epic like that would be awesome yeah well I just feel like, at least in Western movies, I think the philosophy for a lot of like Western like movie making for guns has been kind of like the whole common collective, like I shoot one like one shot, one kill type of thing for a very long. Mm -hmm. I think you mostly see the whole like chaotic gunfights, especially developed from like Hong Kong, Hong Kong like movies where you see a lot of like gun through. At least that's what I've been like looking at, and it's just like a lot mm -hmm. more of the action with like the whole like jumping, spraying, and the whole like I guess martial art type of gunfighting is more like from asia like the hong kong area stemmed from oh, there oh really i didn't know that. yeah like, i've always when you look like back like 30 or like 30 years ago or 20 years ago like how gunfight scenes are different from in western and eastern media oh okay. i never really noticed that i never noticed that because i mean i don't watch a lot of movies, yeah neither but, do i but like you know from, i've always known kind of gunfight scenes as super chaotic people ducking around behind obstacles bullets flying everywhere <laughs> Right, and so well, I mean, because yeah. a lot of the well-known movies are like wars, like Saving Private Ryan or something. Like oh yeah, that. yeah. Or Dunkirk; those are yeah war scenes where it's gonna be super chaotic. But like not even the war, <laughs> like like some of like the more popular series, you know, like even just I feel like gunfights in general that I've seen are really chaotic places. Mm -hmm. um, I so I don't really know that the the calm collected gunfights that's actually really interesting yeah well yeah, i mean i like, guess a dual scene maybe yeah well, maybe like, i mean the dual scene is kind of a special i feel like kind of, <laughs> kind of special. american westerns yeah i mean i feel like yeah, a dual scene is more like intimate right than mm -hmm. something like like a mm -hmm. like a total like full-fledged combat scene <laughs> anyway yeah so oh so i guess i'm also kind of interested here on Kind of what Halleck sees in Tuak to mirror the younger Duke. Maybe Gurney is kind of like in his desperate state of like trying to reach for some type of solid familiarity because like he's reverting to like a state that like he needs to depend on someone right now to like, I don't know, guide him in his actions, especially after being told that like his motives are wrong. And since like, we, as we talked about, he was saved by the Duke. Or maybe like 
two it really kind of does reflect your younger Duke Leto, where he was maybe more brash, more daring, but also like still super strong as a good leader. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I think he's just comparing their characteristics because, well, although he did say, yeah, I will be joining forces with Tuek, I don't think he's planning on completely leaving the Atreides. Like if he knew someone was left, he would. I feel like yeah, because like once he no figured or once he learns that Paul is alive, he's gonna go back to the. Atreides. But it's also really interesting because everyone believes Jessica is a traitor, so <laughs> I don't true. know. I don't know whether is his suspicions for Jessica will outweigh his loyalty to Paul, who technically yeah. is the, is the Duke now, right? Especially if they come back to Galar. Yeah, he is the he has the Ducal signet ring and everything. So well, I think Paul yeah. would explain the situation, and he would like. Would have said it's like hard though because they too. even though it, it's really weird because you know i feel like the traders have been close-knit for a long time and they've known each other for a long time it's surprising how they have so much internal suspicion you know everyone's suspecting jessica and even leto was suspecting jessica at a point <laughs> which is you know insane considering how much you know jessica has given to the traders family um so yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's really interesting that you know, in, in Gurney might not just buy Paul's explanation. Yeah, that's true. I feel like there's there's some inherent you know suspicion in here that we're not privy to, um, that we don't really know. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested in you know, Tuek calls, uh, Gurney the fighting man, and then Gurney kind of <laughs> confirms. You know, Do you really think of me as a I'm fighting important. man? So. Fighting Man's really weird because it was italicized, and you know the, yeah. the initial way I read it was that Tuik was kind of spitting it out as like der derisively and and kind of you know insultingly, right? And I thought it was yeah. referring to Gurney as a brute, right? It's it's sensitive, but I think that Tuik respects uh, that he was able to get out of the tough tough Harkonnen raid. I think that was kind of the the reason they called him <laughs> Fighting Man more than anything. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like when Halleck calls himself like I am a fighting man, he is just like signifies that he won't be a burden to the smugglers and can carry his weight and prove useful in times of need. This is especially important when he's like begging Tuek to take him in, especially like when he's like, you know what, maybe we'll kill you instead if you're like like so temperamental about killing Rabon, right? Mm -hmm. So he's going to prove that he's like not dead weight on so Rakit. So he's basically just saying that He's a warrior that can be relied on when it's time to fight. Mm -hmm. He's got value. Yeah. Yep. For sure, though, because he's been fighting the Harkonnen for many years. So yeah. He, yeah. I'm sure he's, he's picked like, up a couple things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a he's a capable warrior. I mean, we saw how he sparred with Paul and, and everything. Paul is the main character. And and even more, like, more so, you know, he commands his men's respect. And his men are, what, 70-something people? Right? So that's, that's quite, a, quite a yes, lot of men in this situation, I feel like. So... Uh, mm -hmm. the, the smugglers would want his help, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we get to my quote, which is, We live on sufferance down here, Gurney Halleck, Tuek said. Arrakis is our enemy. Okay, wow. so this shows that even the smugglers that have lived on Arrakis for so long have not fully adapted to the environment. Yeah. And I guess this can, the same thing can be said for the Fremen, but not exactly because they don't view Arrakis as the enemy. Because, well, mm -hmm. I guess they're even more well suited for the environment instead of the, the, the smugglers, right? And then I guess instead the Harkonnens are their greatest enemy because of their invasion and stealing of their resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of amplified, however, by the fact that the smugglers never quite swapped entirely over to the ways of Arrakis and like giving it 
like their yeah. full 100% like way mm-hmm. of life like the Fremen did hinted by like the half tint blue eyes so they like keep comparing the like Arrakis condition to what it is like to live off world which to be honest it's quite hard to not admit that you're living in like a literal hell when you like you see some like, some place like Caledon was like su- super cool and like you're just chilling on like yeah a literal and, paradise <laughs> you know water everywhere yeah I mean right i mean it makes me appreciate how i have water right next to me i mean it's we live on sufferance is such a it's such a strong word you know they're suffering every day it's you know yeah it's not something to be that's not something trivial yeah i kind of wonder like what keeps the smugglers there though like i feel like if i was a smuggler i'd make my fortune leave i feel like it's profitable and i feel like it's harder than anything to make a fortune given how much the guild is you know yeah blocking (laughs) just blocking all of the (laughs) The attempts of the smugglers to, you know, make a fortune, I feel like. Right. Also, the half tint of their eyes means that they're already connected to the spice, so they're yeah, not I'm able not to sure leave. They could leave in yeah, the first I mean, place. They could, they could make a fortune and leave and, you know, they could buy the spice, but... But then but they wouldn't have they, they, they the, the have easy access and that the, they but then, But then they wouldn't have their fortune very soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fortune would disappear before their very eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, well poor life choice to become a smuggler yeah you should never have touched the spice in the first place like yeah <laughs> right so i don't know i think it's just foreboding when you know gurney mentions that and we you know we were on the topic of iraq it's being literal hell but gurney mentions that people can see bits of greenery here and there on iraq considering you know kind's dream and all that it's very foreboding and what's more surprising however is 2x view on the fremen again as vastly inferior to them and you know this is surprising because he just says that they are ragged bands that they use as spice hunters and have the fremen been purposely masking their true powers for this purpose you know so that they can sabotage the harkonnens when they need to or maybe support the the muad'dib right um i mean initially it makes sense that like the Harkonnens would uh, underestimate the Fremen because the Harkonnens are so cocky and they they're so the yeah and they're so overconfident that yeah they live in the cities and they don't really know what they're getting themselves into and you know the Baron is not the most reasonable man but mm-hmm. to it comes across as a reasonable person right I mean there's so many questions here and another one is how did they let Idaho which who is an essentially a stranger into the sieges to see everything if they're so secretive about you know their operations yeah, so like maybe this is like conspiracy conspiracy theory level, but like I kind of think maybe the Fremen were thinking about it, where like if they let Idaho in, well, like gives off their presumption of like Idaho as a member of the Fremen tribe, like they will keep him away from their secret plans of terraforming Arrakis or like their true combat capabilities, because from their viewpoint back then it was just like they don't know if the Harkonnens would come back and destroy the Fremen yet, right? Or like they feel like maybe they were confident in like keeping. Uh, Idaho away from this so I kind of suspect like the Fremen were just playing along with their tradies to buy time for the project to finish and just like give them the feeling of cooperation just so that they could like continue to safely do their thing while their tradies hit the Harkonnens and do their own thing yeah but in order for them to complete their project they still need like a certain amount of water right that's true quite a bit of water I would say yeah yeah but he can't terraform a planet with with like a shortage of water (laughs) yeah and i i agree with your idea of that they are trying to buy time but at the same time i think they held a real respect for idaho and his combat abilities which i guess you could say that it's equal to or maybe even surpasses some of their best warriors 
I mean, the thing is, I don't know how much the Fremen value pure combat skills, given how, you know, the weak, the even the weaker Fremen are matched for the starter car. They don't really need an, an extra warrior or something. I guess that is true. And I mean, and you know, if they're trying to be so secretive, you know, Idaho coming in as a as an outsider, and he could potentially just throw everything off. So I'm I'm really surprised because, I mean, they seem to trust Idaho so easily and. You know, and we were speculating last chapter on how they won't be able to trust Jessica and Paul so easily. And, you know, Paul has the Ducal Signet Ring and is in a much higher position of power. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe I mean, at the same time, like, Idaho presented a theory of, like, the Duke could provide them with materials or resources. Or, like, I don't know, because I know Idaho is fully capable of, like, proving himself as, like, a warrior to the Fremen, right? But, like, like y'all have been saying, like, I don't know if like being a warrior is enough to be let into the inner circle, right? So maybe I think he may have offered like the Duke's allegiance and the kinds and the other Fremen may have determined that like letting him in a bit to like reap the resources of like technology from Atreides will may have been like beneficial in speeding up their plan. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they're kind of using them to their advantage. I mean, maybe. I don't know. This is speculation, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's really smart of them to keep everything under wraps. Because if nobody really knows what their true potential is, then they're gonna underestimate them every single time. Yeah, and, so that's kind the of, element. Yeah. Or yeah, you can you can go. Sorry, I was gonna say that 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 was I feel like the purpose because you know it's clearly working with Tuek again a reasonable person in thinking the Fremen are just ragged bands of spice hunters and mm-hmm. you know the Baron who is in a even though the Baron is not a reasonable not like a reasonable person he's in a a position with a lot of he can get a lot of information and Power the fact too. that he hasn't heard anything until now you know he hasn't heard of the fremen fighting abilities and it seems like R- raban has some more information that we don't know of but right, uh, yeah but yeah it's, it's really interesting how blind everybody is to the people living in these sieges um mm-hmm. yeah just having this element of surprise is just such a huge advantage especially in a war like mm-hmm. environment Right, I agree. So, because you need every single advantage you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then the Fremen are already, you know, really advent- like have a very high advantage, and the surprise factor may maybe. Yeah, because they know, know the land better than anybody else. As yeah, well. and of course they are ferocious fighters. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we saw how they they just totally they wiped the floor with the sorry car totally. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's a poof, and a second later it was yeah, gone. Yeah, a second later they were flying the thopter away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was really funny. And then the Kami comes into the other like troop mm-hmm. carrier. Yep. Yeah, that's just necessary yeah. trade. Math skills. Okay, so now here we get to the part where we see like Gurney making this assumption of the Harkonnens. He says, but a pogrom that isn't like the Harkonnens. A pogrom is wasteful. So yes and no to the Baron, yeah, like it is wasteful and that would have applied when the Harkonnens were solely mining spice from Arrakis and they're like um, go from Arrakis is profit but now like the Baron has like a different grander plan to kind of like place fate on the throne and build loyalty among Fremen therefore like he's gonna have to allow Beast Robin to like conduct what is wasteful right so like for any of the listeners who don't already know a pogrom is just like organized systematic genocide in this scenario yeah well this is also the first time we hear about the word pogrom and I can safely say that it's not very pog <laughs> <laughs> wow oh, okay. that is true yeah mm-hmm. and this pogrom, I, I think this pogrom won't go according to the Baron's plan because the military might, as we mentioned earlier, of the Fremen are far greater than I guess anybody expects 
I, I think even Paul doesn't know the extent of their power either. Yeah, no one knows other than yeah. them. And I think Hawat's seen like a glimpse from his like, like escaping yeah. with them, right? But yeah, at but, the same time, Hawat captures mm, it doesn't matter. And Paul hasn't seen that, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's really interesting, you know, because like I feel they've been trying to do this pogrom plan for quite a while. You know, the Raban has, you know, been hunting them as we as we know. So yeah, I, I wonder what his success rate was. Probably of actually, low. yeah. <laughs> probably maybe he's low. never actually caught. Yeah, one. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he did say, you know, you have no idea how much of pain they were, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's true. So. Okay, so at the same time, we also see Gurney raise the question of like after he promises allegiance to Tuik, right? Mm-hmm. So he kind of yeah. raises this question of like, should he persuade his man to join him? But I was just like, why will he do this? Especially after he just stated that he'll let them choose on their own, right? Because like, is Gurney like doing a cost-benefit analysis of like he needs their manpower to succeed in his go to like destroy the Harkonnens? Because the truth is, he can no longer claim the whole like we're doing this for like the throne, you know, or like the Trades because they're all gone. There's like even the heir himself is dead. Like Paul's dead. Well, like that's what they believe, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. I think you know. I think like Gurney probably feels that his men deserve to choose their own path and make their own decisions regarding their their fate and eventually you know what what they want to to do um, in this terrible situation. But like again, even if he offers the aid of his men, Tuek may be more willing to give Gurney's needs a little more consideration. I feel like because you know his men yeah, are valuable and bargain. yeah, they do like bargaining chips. Yeah. Well, I don't entirely agree with the statement that. He can't really cite it based on loyalty to the Atreides because, well, they followed Gurney this far and they, they followed him even throughout the entire war. So it won't be easy for them to just leave him now. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's not Atreides-based loyalty, I think that Gurney's soldiers have their own sense of duty or, I guess, loyalty to Gurney. I guess that's fair, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I don't know. I feel like you're right. Some of them would stay, but I feel like there will still be others that like splinter off and leave because like, they're so... Like Gurney mentioned, like a lot of them are tired of Iraq because they're just like just want to go home. I don't know. I don't That's even true. know if they can go home given yeah. they've probably uh, taken spice. spice. Yeah. So also, I mean, they I feel like they sort of don't have a choice of following Gurney because where would they go if they were to say no? Yeah, I'm not I mean fighting. they don't they don't have the the money the funds to fly back to Caldan, well, right? I mean, I think the smuggler they they mentioned that like they could work as like indentured servants or something. True. I mean, they <laughs> oh, could no, they. They would probably all have to work for a while, but some yeah. people, some people would probably leave, and some would stay uh, after mm-hmm. after the the period of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So another thing that was just curious in like this dialogue section was, just like the phrase "fortune passes everywhere." He said it near the end, so I was just wondering if it's like a farewell type of thing that like, is it common? I don't know. Uh, I, I believe i mean it's probably something like may the stars shine on you or may the stars light your path kind of yeah kind of a farewell like message probably just you know a nice, a nice like yeah i think I'm, thing. i might uh, i might start adopting that one fortune passes everywhere <laughs> yeah. preferably I'll... except in a capitalistic society <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep a fortune in, in a capitalistic society fortune stays in the top one percent Sure. Yeah. Sure. Fortune passes into one one place. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, he, uh-huh. and Tuik also says that a time of upset is a rare opportunity for a business. Meaning, I guess in this time of war, 
he has the opportunity, to, I guess, to make money or get back at the Harkonnens because mm-hmm. I think their relations with the Harkonnens aren't great even before the death of his father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this sort of reminded me of the phrase, another man's war is another man's profit. But I guess in in this case, it's not entirely true because Tuik is doing it out of revenge. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of like during COVID, how all the billionaires just got even richer. Like their wealth just multiplied over COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, the only real winner in war is the weapons manufacturer. You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah. And, there's no yeah. winning in war, guys. Yeah, there is no winning in war. War is a lose-lose. Don't don't go to war. If any, uh, what's it called? If any uh, world leaders are listening in, you know, <laughs> that's our opinion anyways. Joe Biden, you're listening to us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. <Whoa>. Putin? Yeah. <laughs> whoa, uh, Putin. Whoa. Yeah. Well, he is a world leader. Yeah, I wonder if he's uh, listening to the Do Not Enter podcast. For yep. sure. He yeah, must be for, like meditating right sure, now. For sure, for sure. He can't break. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's one of our listeners. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Anyways. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Gurney. So for here we see we're like near the ending. And to me, Gurney's like looking back on the state of his man, just like surveying them after having this talk with Tuik. And I kind of see it as a sad scene i know like maybe y'all don't see it that way but to me it just seems like he sees what like he's proud of right like community the companionship of the atreides even though they're still beat up right just like built up among the men after all these years but like now the atreides they're no more there's no more of this i mean they're still there like the companionship and stuff but like there's no cause to fight for anymore like this Mm -hmm. era of like training this community protecting this community has come to an end like to me, it really popped out when they like follow it up with, I think I don't know this guy's name like Matai's Matai's Matai Matai's like inevitable death, you know, and like Halex like I know and like goes to play the ballast to like send them off. I think yeah, that to me is just like like a very sad, sad party. It's a very somber moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean at least Gurney gave Matai a proper farewell with a song. I mean it's not the first death of this book and. It's a rather inconsequential death, but it hits uh, as usual. And I mean, it's not going to be the last death. And it's good that <laughs> Gurney sure. takes you know this good PR angle and respects his men's sacrifice. Uh, and I mean, plays like, even like and... without PR, I think he genuinely had like, a connection with like the man. No, I agreed, but I mean, it's just it's also good PR. Yeah, it does look yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Generally, yeah, he, I know he cares about his men and everything. That's why he even offered, you know, that he would release them from their from their. Uh, contracts i guess mm-hmm. yeah and we know that he genuinely cares about his men because his eyes were burning and not yeah. from the Arrakis heat but from actual sadness yeah the tears it was such a depressing moment to be honest mm-hmm. yeah it was very um very touching right and yeah and on that note uh it's a very depressing end <laughs> but note. yeah but i believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the do not enter podcast Make sure to read to the end of chapter 29. Yes, we are back Ooh, to full chapters. Full chapter. I know, right? We're on a streak. And do in <laughs> next time when we discuss it. As always, thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts. Follow us on Instagram at do not enter, Reddit, use such do not enter, Twitter at do not enter, and email us at do not enter at gmail.com. That is D U N E N O T E N T E R at gmail.com. Please contact us with any questions you may have, feedback, or it's probably my turn this week. Re- yeah. Recordiones. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, so we'll, it we'll run, sounds like we're speaking another language. Yeah, we'll run out of permutations of that word soon enough. <laughs> but, anyways, if we made any mistakes, don't hesitate in letting us know. We will gladly correct ourselves. Um, not that we make any mistakes, but for sure. Um, yeah, yes. what even are mistakes? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> something that I don't make, anyways. So, <laughs> so please give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Um, it only takes us a few. It only takes a few seconds of your time. Just go and make an account and go to our smash podcast that and like smash that, <laughs> smash that five stars button because it's the only button that exists um it helps us uh know that we're doing a good job and motivates us to create new content and also on a more mathematical sense it helps us climb the charts and get our podcast to a wider variety of listeners yep we're playing the algorithm out here it's a game of playing the algorithm Mm -hmm. every single day yep (laughs) so yeah we really appreciate that and you know it's motivating for us to keep you know keep making this content Mm -hmm. otherwise have a great week and we will see you all back very soon See you guys. Uh, Fortune passes everywhere.